verse that we just read from Corinthians really summarized the heart posture of what me and Rach, when we were talking many years ago now, about taking over the church, transitioning from Craig and Wendy. And this word point view was always around a concept of wanting to point people to a new view. That we once had a view of this world, but this house would be a space that would bring people in and point them into a new direction. Not saying that we have the answer, but we are pointing people. All of us are pointing in that same direction. We're saying we're journeying on the way of Jesus. Would you come along with us? Would you help us to point people to a new view in this world? And that's why we really stuck with the statement of transforming people transform their worlds. We believe, and I'm sure you amen as well, what Jesus has done in your life. He has transformed you. You were once heading in one direction, and now you're heading in another direction. Sometimes we turn back and we go forward again. But we wanted to see a transforming people that engaged this world. That's why we finished up our series last uh, week, Rethinking Heaven, making sure that we have caught up people in our community, that we're not just escapism. Salvation is not to a place, but it's to see heaven invade earth. That's what we wholeheartedly believe, that heaven is invading earth and we are part of the ambassadors that get to bring about this new life. You being a follower of Jesus means that you don't live for your life anymore. You are now a servant, a child of God. You are now an ambassador of this new kingdom realm. Are we good with that this morning? So that's what we're building upon. And so this moment, I feel, is a convergent moment. It's a coming together of the old. I'm thankful. This is what fruitful legacy will look like. My, my prayer for this community in our church is that we will show what legacy done well can do. Blessings that come forth that I did not earn, right? Didn't earn any of this building, any of this property, any of this amazing foundation of biblical teaching. I did not earn any of it. It was a free gift because I co-labored with another person. And in this transition of knowing what God called this DNA of this church, because the one benefit that I had in taking leadership of this church, I knew the DNA of this church. I knew what it was called to, what it operates. And when you fight DNA, it's tiring. It doesn't work. There are natural things and gifted that each one of you are given that when lit up, you fly. You feel like this is the easiest thing to carry. This is the easiest thing I could ever, ever do. But when you're fighting against who you are, you're exhausted, you lose purpose, depression, all these things come in. And so I'm thankful that I got to walk alongside, to know the history, to still have the history in this church, that over the transition, we didn't just start again. We took what was and we've brought it. And I believe in this moment what God stirred in my heart last year. And believe me, I've, we've had this message since uh, October. And for me to sit on a message, and it's been leaking out of me a lot um, because I can't help myself. But this is a moment of just like, yes, I get to kind of tell you things that have been going on in my heart. And we're actually going to be on an adventure this whole rest of this year around these three lines. And you're like, that's going to be really boring, Johnny. No, <laughs> believe me. There is a lot of depth to these words. And so this is our statement that we believe for our church and what God is calling us as Point View Church to bring into Washington. And it is this, following Jesus together, growing in wholeness, 
for the renewal of Washington. Hallelujah. These are words which will do a couple of things to you. One, maybe excite you. Maybe, I don't know, Johnny, about that. I don't know if I agree with all of that. It's going to bring some stir, some emotions inside of you here today. And I just want you to journey with us as we go through these. Over the next three weeks, we're just going to do the overview of each of these lines. And then we're going to immerse an eight-week journey into each of these. So we're going to just give a high-level view just for today on the first line, following Jesus together. But as I said, this is a prophetic declaration today. This is a declaration against what the enemy has tried to do to kill, steal, and destroy in this community. This is a prophetic declaration of what God wants to do inside each and every one of us. And so I invite you, would you find your place in this statement today? My invitation to you is, what does it mean for me to belong, to be called at Point View Church? What does it stir inside of me? Because this is not just Johnny's vision. This has been a collaboration piece that has brought about. We have prayed into this as a leadership team. We have seeked God's heart for this moment. And it has been a three-year kind of long progression of moment of what God has stirred in my life. I feel like this is a summary of a statement of what Jesus has done in my life and what he's going to do in my life. And I believe for this church, this is a statement of what God has done and is yet to do as well. And so we want to be a church that if we suddenly disappeared, that the city of Washington would know about it. Because I feel like before, and maybe even now the relative is, if we disappeared, would Washington even care? Would it even matter that we weren't here? Are we living the kingdom mandate that God has called us to? And that's why we need to talk about we are Point View Church. This is what we are today. And so in this phrase, we're going to be just starting with the first line, following Jesus together. So for me, following Jesus has been 32 years almost. I know. Look how young I am. Uh, 32 years. That's uh, 11,680 days of my life. The joy, the life-giving the pain, and the dissatisfaction. And some days it feels all of those things in one moment. That we can have joy, we can have just, my gosh, God, you are so good. And in the same day, completely fall apart with pain and dissatisfaction of all the things of happenings. And I just want to focus for a moment on dissatisfaction. Yeah, I know. Johnny, we're talking about dissatisfaction. That's not where I thought we were going to go. Come with me today. There have been seasons of dissatisfaction in my walk with Jesus, and you wouldn't think of where they come about. See, for me, I've grown up following Jesus my entire life, immersed. And I'm not just immersed. I'm not just uh, like had a Christian family. I had passionate parents who loved Jesus a lot. Uh, Keith Green was all I ever heard, and some other kids' songs. And so I could listen to those on the vinyl record player all the time. My mum was hell-bent, which is a funny word not even to say, but she was bent on immersing us in everything. We would go to every gathering. I was in church probably at least five times a week. Um, it would be connect groups, youth groups, uh, church twice on Sunday, and any other social gathering, I was there. Even when we were away, my parents, we would find places. And so there was like no chance for me. It was like I was immersed into all of it. And it was so good and so life-giving. 
I got to be a worship leader, lead people um, in worship, many different sizes and gatherings. I've had the honor and the privilege to be in front of the huge crowds, do amazing work, see lives transformed. I've been part of small groups in small gatherings as well. And I just remember this night of leading worship. It was one of those encounters I want you to bring to mind where you experienced God in such a way that your face was really snotty. You know those nights where it's just like, God is so real, and I am just bawling my eyes out. I don't have a care in the world. I am so filled with joy right now. There is nothing that can stop this. I remember that night of just leading worship. I was probably in my mid-20s. We had something called Encounter Nights where we would worship for two hours. Now, for some of you, you're like, that sounds terrible. It was amazing. It was beautiful. God's presence fell. I remember the fragrance in the room that was being such this beautiful, just physical fragrance that had happened. And we worshiped and we just rested and there was nothing. Heaven and earth had touched and I was never the same again. The problem was it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I just remember this sense of dissatisfaction, looking for the Sunday, but so dissatisfied with my week. This complete compartmentalism that I'd experienced of where I was like so joyful in one moment and then a couple of days later just dissatisfied. What is this all about? God, what do you even have for me in all of this? Why am I no different? I've just had this Shekinah glory, mountaintop experience, yet I am still just feel like more selfish. I just feel like I'm more angry sometimes. I just feel like I'm dissatisfied. Like I just had this holy moment. Why am I not any different? Why is there no change? This is the reason. In spite of my best intentions of following Jesus all the time, we can wake up one day we have become a certain person. It's not good intentions or self-will. It's not good intentions or self-will that we become who we are. It's your teacher. It's your teacher. My teacher, I had discovered over time, again, following Jesus relentlessly, my teacher was my desires, my longings, my idea of what I should achieve and how I should walk my spiritual walk out. My teacher was my desires. And so that was the separation, that was the beginning, the awakening in my life, when I had suddenly realized that even though I had all these amazing God encounters, traveled the world for Jesus, I was following an idea of Jesus than really following him. And that's why I feel like I had a roller coaster of like, I would do so well in following my spirituality again, God kept me my entire life. By morality standards, you know, didn't deviate from those whatsoever. Looked like the good Christian boy, but there was a dissatisfaction inside of my heart because I was following an idea more than the personhood of Jesus. I was following a feeling more than the personhood of Jesus. And Jesus understands this. As a passage, Jesus had this constant invitation to people and this phrase, come follow, come follow me. He said this in John chapter 1, 35 to 39. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, John the baptizer, who was to usher in the king. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples who were with him heard him and say this, and they 
followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, this is important, what are you seeking? And he said to them, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. Following Jesus. I love that invitation of come be with me. The with is the most important phrase that we need to as followers of Jesus to comprehend and get in our hearts. With is the great four-letter word that expresses love. It's the proximity, not words, how we love one another. To sit by the bedside, to listen to a friend cry, or to be there for a friend who's going through a traumatic time. It's not enough that we say, hey, I'm just praying for you. It's to come into the room with someone and say, I'm going to be with you. When we've had successful moments, what do we do? We pick up that phone and we say, hey, you never guess what happened. And we put on a celebration. We have birthdays, whether you like it or not as you get older. You bring people around a space to be with you to celebrate. It's funny. We spend an exorbitant amount of money for people to be with us to celebrate a withness with your partner, with your husband or your wife. Isn't that bizarre? Like, we say, I'm going to celebrate my withness by bringing all of you with me. Because the with is the greatest expression of love that we can bring. The four-letter word that it shows proximity to say love. And they asked, where are you staying, Jesus? This word stay is meno in the Greek. Meno meaning to abide, to remain, to be with. I love... Um, Uh, Eugene Peterson's translation of this in John chapter 15, he turns the word abide and he says, make home. To make Jesus your home, to be in proximity with him, to say that this is your comfort, to say this is your space. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It means for you to be with him to be with him over everything else. Be proximity. Make your home. And Jesus' invitation could have been, okay, guys, we want you to follow me. I just want you to read these scrolls. I just want you to get some head knowledge on how and who I am. That's how you're going to be with me. It really could have been exactly like that. But instead, Jesus' phrase over and over again is, come be with me me. Come be with me. Not how long can you follow with me, it's how close do you want to get with me. Judas followed the three years like all the other disciples, and yet his proximity did not change his heart. You can know Jesus and be on the edge and never be with him. It says in Matthew, it says those people will come to him and say, you confessed in my name and we did signs and wonders for you, Jesus. And Jesus will say, go away from me, I didn't know you. Because the heart of following must be, be with. Now before we even get into anything else, we've got to understand that Jesus has called you. Can I give you that truth today? Jesus has called you. He is more committed to you than you are to him. 
He's more happy that you have drawn near to him today. That's why I love telling people, you know what? The most excited person in the room right now is God. He is the most excited person in the room that you have chosen to come dwell with other Christians. He's like, come on, guys. And if you could just see your faces looking at me, I'm like, God, how do you do this sometimes? You see some people just kind of blank staring at you. And I know I haven't given you anything to really get riled up about, but come on, guys. Like, we have the greatest invitation, the eternal God, universe-breathing God. He says, come be with me. He didn't have to. He could have given all sorts of different things. He doesn't give qualification. He says, this free gift I want to give to you. I'm more committed to you than you are to me, and I know that. But I'm saying, come be with me. The enemy is going to trick us to believe that we have to earn this right to be with, and you will try all sorts of things to perform to earn to be with Jesus. I bet it in your prayer life that you, as soon as you start praying, God, I'm really sorry that I haven't been talking to you. Like generally people who haven't spoken, that's where we start. We say sorry. That's not how the Lord's prayer goes. It's our Father. You are my Father. You are good. You are faithful. And we start with the goodness of God before we even come. We even ask for things from God before we even get to the forgiveness part because that's the commitment to him. But I love this question that Jesus asked. This is the point. What do you want? This is the, the heartbreaking question that we need. God, Jesus cuts to the heart of these disciples because you can follow me. That's fine. You can have proximity, but until you determine what you want right now will determine how you be with me right now. I think about this scene um, from The Notebook. I've only watched it once, but it's stuck in my head because it's a really good meme as well. And it's that scene where Noah and Ali, uh, he asked, Noah asked the question, what do you want, Ali? Can anyone remember that? What do you want? I use this meme because the most hor- one of the most horrifying moments that I have in being part of the Bettis family is when Rachel, Becca, and Leah tried to decide where we're going to eat. It's challenging because this is, this, the meme comes, what do you want? What do you want? We don't know. Well, how about this? No, we don't want that. What do you want? And I just feel like Jesus with this representative from Noah of saying, like, all of you, I want all of you. This is, and the words that Noah says to Ali, I think, are really pivotal. What Jesus would say to you, I want all of you forever, you and me, every day. That's what Jesus wants. And he's asking you the question, but what do you want? Because we are desire-driven human beings. And I love it. Stop thinking about what everyone else wants. What do you want? For me, my spiritual life, I was dissatisfied because I was unbalanced. One of the the torturous things about being a preacher is, is that I know a ton more than I experience. It's complexing. I know so much about God that does not match up with my experience of God. But it's so funny because at the same time, I didn't realize I was pursuing, because I was literally just pursuing knowledge and knowing and understanding. And I was becoming so grumpy and critical because it wasn't to be with Jesus simply to be with him. It was to learn to understand, to have knowledge, to have wisdom for my benefit. 
And I think by the grace of God, he lets us journey in those kind of childlike ways of where we learn to know about him. Because knowing about him is not a bad thing. But when you feel the seasons of dryness, when you feel like God is distant from you, he's trying to move you from a honeymoon season into a deeper intimacy of real, authentic love. And this happens over and over again because Jesus' heart is to follow, to be with him, to know him. The invitation is not to learn more, but to trust more. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, after he asked that question, what do you want? He said, come and see Come and see. Come and experience me. Come and be in close proximity to me. Come experience the love. Follow. Be with me. But we don't have Jesus now. And for some of you, you would trade that. If I could get rid of the Holy Spirit and just have the physical Jesus, everything would be better. And I would argue completely and utterly no. Because the reason is, I love this in John, so the night before they, he goes to uh, the cross, Janky, there we go. Got it. Um, and I will ask the Father, and He will go, uh, and He will give you another advocate, helper to you, and be with you forever. You know that promise in Deuteronomy that I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is so much more real right now, because He really can never leave you nor forsake you as a follower of Jesus. There is no height, no depths, nothing can separate you from the loves of, love of God now, unless you choose and will it. Nothing. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he is neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. For he lives in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live and you also live. On that day, you will realize that I am with my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That beautiful intimacy language. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them through the Spirit. It's this life that we want to live together, which is life in the Spirit. Can you go to the next slide? There we go. Life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit is what we are called to live and breathe. This constant connection that God always ordained. Remember the Leviticus series for those who are around? God's relentless pursuit of you and Him being one has now been fulfilled in the most intimate way that you are closer than the very air that you breathe. God is living inside you. There is life in the spirits. This is what God's great heart is, that we live and breathe and move and have our being. Our withness is at an all-time high. It can never get any closer, but we need to wake up to the need of this. So uh, John Mark Comer says this, our primary goal as followers of Jesus is learning to live in constant state of connection to the Spirit. This is our great journey now. This is how we're able to be with Jesus, our rabbi. We must invite him to every moment and learn to always be in two places at once, at home with Jesus, at work with Jesus, on a commute 
with Jesus, answering emails with Jesus, texting with Jesus, being in his presence into the routine of our lives to experience the life of Jesus, we must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If we want to experience the life of Jesus, we must adopt the lifestyles of Jesus. See, your life is a byproduct of your lifestyles. Your life up to this moment is a byproduct of all the habits and decisions that you have made into this moment. So I love drums. I love drums. I'm the best drummer in my head. I have amazing beats. I am so good. But I will never be any good because I don't want to practice. I don't want to put the time. I'm quite happy learning my guitar and singing. I'm good enough. I'm lazy in that. But I have these amazing beats that go into my mind, but I can't be bothered to actually put the time and effort to create myself what is in here onto there because I just don't want to learn. Practice causes us to be transformed into what we desire to be. And spirituality is exactly the same. If we do not put into practice rhythms, habits, to be with Jesus, guess what? You're not going to become any more loving. You're not going to become the person that God desires for your life because it's an invitation that He wants to co-labor with you. Again, my point, I grew up living the Christian life my entire life, yet I was dissatisfied. I would live like a Sunday junkie, living for the spiritual highs of wanting to experience more of His presence and never letting the intimacy and practices actually transform and change me. It's how Christians can live so dualistically. My frustration with God is that how can you let people who pray to you all the time be so angry and grumpy all the time? I was like, there's such a bad representation of you. And I'm no better, right? Like, why are you letting me still fall in these areas of my life? Like, just turn the switch, God, and make me so much better so that I can show the world that you're so much better. And he's like, no. Because that would void relationship with me. The Garden of Eden was all about a quick fix to become like God. It's to take the fruit and say, you know what? I want to do it my way, my time frame, Thank you very much. Sin enters in, and Jesus is on this passionate, patient journey of saying, will you rehabit your life around the way of Jesus? Will you rehabit your ways to be with me, to follow Jesus, to walk in the Spirit with Him? But there are consequences to all of this. And I've left my phone down with things. So I have a phone, which is amazing. My phone uh, helps me remember what I've got to do for the most part. It gives my events. It gives me connection. I can do most of my work from my phone. There is a consequence, though. If I do not connect it to power, then it will die on me. I will not know what's going on. <laughs> I will not know what day is going on. I will not be able to communicate with my wife. I will not be able to get my work done because it is not connected. Uh, next slide there, Jam. There is a consequence. Being with Jesus equals being with others. For the people who are extroverted, this is yes. For the introverts, you're like, no. 
Like a phone has benefits, there are consequences that must be brought together. To be with Jesus is meaning to be with others. To have a life devoted to Jesus must flow out and cause us to have life with others. Jesus brought a bunch of riffraffs and intentionally brought the most polarized people into one space. He brought the devout zealot, Simon the Zealot, who would war against Rome, and he brought someone who worked for Rome into one space. If anyone's seen The Chosen, you got just a little glimpse of what their arguments would have been like around coffee on a Monday morning. Can you imagine they wouldn't talk about some of these things? Can you imagine they just kind of, oh, Jesus saved us, we're not going to... No, they wrestled with their differences. They wrestled with those parts. Because Jesus, I believe this, and it's propelled into one of the most powerful things that Jesus said. Jesus, after showing them the 12 gathering together, these people of all different mindsets, Peter, full of putting his foot in his mouth all the time, the sons of thunder, wanting to burn down villages, with Matthew, the carefully calculated kind of guy. All these different personalities in one space because this, Jesus, new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's all about this. This is what it's all about. That we, we as disciples, are known by how we love one another. Jesus' final words could have been completely different, right? This new command I give to you, that you are to love one another as I have loved you, this is how people and the world will know you're my disciples. Could have been anything else. He's God. But he made it absolute true that if you love one another, John picks up again in his letters to the church. It becomes the golden rule, right? To love one another, to love your enemies becomes the golden rule because God is about unifying. Because Jesus demonstrated why we were your enemies while on the cross. He loves. Can you imagine that moment? You're hanging on the cross. They are hurtling pains at you. And he's just saying, forgive them, Father. They do not know what they do. The forgiveness is, is uh, present tense. So it means that there was the continual wording of Jesus constantly saying to every uh, rebuke at him, every curse, every nail, he would say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. What love is that? It was enemy love which turned Rome upside down. Down. And it's this passage that we find in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. This is, uh, we've, we studied Ephesians a couple of years ago. This is the center point of Ephesians. This is what Jesus is getting at about his whole mission. This is what Paul, a letter to the Ephesians, who are conflicted, who have division in their church, this is what the gospel is all about. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundations of apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Notice that. We are carefully joined together 
so we become his church. We become redemption. We become what God always wanted, a renewal of this world. And it must start in relationship. Through him, you Gentiles, are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit together. Sinkalo, which means, I love this, to call together to name. It has a sense of being renamed. Isn't that a beautiful principle? That together is not just a drawing together of people, not a calling together, though you who are far away from God, who didn't deserve it, you are now called. We are all called into this space where we did not deserve. But there is a renaming that happens to us. We get new identities, church. Actually, a lot of the times where we read the word you in the book of Ephesians, it's the southern you, y'all. It's y'all all the time because we're so... Don't, don't hate on my accent. It's fine. I saw you. Um, I'll try and be American here and there. Um, yeah, call together. We rename. So we are now called the church. It was the revitalization of cultures. They saw where the church would come alive to birth to flame by how different social, economical, different uh, nationalities, different tribes of nations would come together, they would know that is a Jesus church. Are we in America like that? I'm going to leave that one for you to answer. Bringing all types together. He brings about new identity. In fact, you could also uh, notice that the sex trade would diminish as well. As men and women realized that it was healthy and whole for them to be married to one another, to not have sex outside of marriage, to live as one serving another. And so every time Jesus' uh, church would pop up, we would see the sex trade diminish. As they brought prostitutes in, as they brought the poor and the impoverished in, they were rebranded, renamed, repurposed, called a Jesus church. Because the implications of being with Jesus, you get a new identity, you get a new way to love one another, and it draws you in and says, come be with us. You who are on the left, you who are on the right, you who have different views on life, come and submit yourself to the way of Jesus. That Jesus is Lord. And so my final point here today is Jesus must be center. If you notice in the phrasing, following Jesus together is our word, Jesus is center. If we're to follow anything, it has to be Jesus. It has to be with him. We believe that we want to set up um, changing one of these rooms. We're not quite sure yet, but we want to turn it into a prayer room. We want to have a, de- we have a prayer room back here, but we want to have a dedicated prayer room that people could come to, to be with Jesus. My heart is to change out there, to have a prayer walk out there, that people from the community could come and walk and just have a prayer walk. They don't have to come to our church, but we want to create space for people to follow Jesus. And boy, do we have to have Jesus center if we're going to be together. Because if anything has taught us over the last couple of years, we all think differently. We all have different perceptions of how we see the world and how this world should be made right. We all have different ways this is going to happen. We have to have Jesus as center. We have to have this above my viewpoint, right? 
this has to be above my viewpoint. I have to submit my desires, my wills to the Word of God. It, it teaches me, it critiques me, it refines me. And so that's why we are a gospel-believing church. And I know that has some stigmas around that now. But we believe in the conservative value of the Bible. We believe in these things, that God ordained, that there are men, that there are women, that it is for man and women to be together, that your identity really does matter. And I know that's not always going to be easy for us to talk about, but this is what we must be. We must be a Jesus-centered church today. And so my invitation to you is, who are you following? Are you following yourself today? Jesus must be center. I want to take a moment just to even reflect in your own heart today. Are you following your idea of what God's kingdom should look like? Or are you following what Scripture really says? Because, I don't know, I've studied this for a while, and it really changed my view. I'd inherited a lot of belief systems that when I actually went to the Word, wasn't there. Well-intentioned, Bible-loving disciples of Jesus who just didn't quite get it. There wasn't the full picture given to it. And so coming into it, I've just gained this belief system that Jesus is real. He loves us. He wants to transform us. He wants to bring us about into who he has called us all to be. But you have to be following Jesus, wanting to be with him, not just knowing about him, not just listening to the latest podcast, a sermon from another church. There is amazing information out there. But if you are not being with, physically being with, abiding, then you're missing what it means to follow Jesus together. Who are you following Jesus together with? Do you have at least one other person who you're following Jesus with together? Outside of of your family, maybe. Who is that one other person that you are following with? Who can you invite anew into your circle to follow Jesus together. These are the invitations. And so let's just pause and pray here today. Let's create space for the Holy Spirit to come speak to us this morning. Um, Let's put some ministry music on here. Father, we want to come today thanking you for this first line that we want to be a church that follows Jesus together. This is the foundational line today that we want to follow him and you alone. And so God, we want to repent today where maybe that hasn't been our heart posture. Maybe we've been following our ideals, our idea of who you are and not realizing that we're missing the come and see to come and be. Maybe we've missed that whole picture that Jesus invites us to take up his yoke, his ways, his practices, his understanding. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us always. You never leave nor forsake. And maybe like me, you are dissatisfied. Maybe there's parts of your knowing that way outweighs your experience with God. And the invitation Jesus says is come and see. Come and experience. Come sit with me on your porch. Come sit with me in your car. 
come reorientate, not just a Sunday experience, but life and life to the full outside of these four walls. Sometimes we don't have to have words to speak to Jesus, but to silently sit with Him, to allow His life to meld ours. So often we think we do spirituality, but it's spirituality is done to us. Spirituality is done to us, meaning it is a journey of surrender, meaning come follow me and take up your cross. Jesus, you must be center. If we want to show Washington what it means to love well, we have got to understand how much he loves you. If you're feeling dissatisfied today, Holy Spirit, would you re-identify, bring new, fresh love into people's lives? In the prayer room, uh, Tress had a picture of someone that was in a boat, in a massive ocean, and they felt so alone. Maybe that's you today. You feel like you're in a boat by yourself in a vast ocean. It just feels helpless. And she said that she saw as that person turned around, did a 180, they saw the hope and expectation. They saw Jesus at revelation. And maybe today you've been walking your walk by yourself, trying to make it happen by yourself. And Jesus says, you're not alone. Would you turn? Would you come be with me? Would you make me, me your desire of your heart today? Would you set practices, not just good intentions of, I want to be a drummer one day and never put into practice what that looks like. Would you choose today to say, I'm going to carve out time every day to be with Jesus, to read my Bible and pray. In fact, I don't know how to do it properly, so I'm going to get someone else in my life who can do it. That's the better picture. I don't know how to do it. Don't let shame hold you back from a greater life. In fact, all of us need someone else to talk to about Jesus. We need fresh perspective. We need change. Who are you doing this life with? Come follow me in my group. The consequence of being with Jesus means that we must learn to be with one another. We must learn to love like Jesus did. The new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you this way. You will, the world will know that you are my disciple. And as a prophetic action, we declare this over our church today. God, we accept your invitation to be this, to be people who are experiential, spirit-led people who say, come follow Jesus together. Come be with him together. This is the foundational piece. This is the North Star. This is the great journey for us all, as Karl Barth said, I said last week, to summarize all of our belief systems is to say, this I know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Because love is the starting point and love is the end journey for us all. We must all find our love in King Jesus. So we receive that as a church and we receive that as individuals today, that we will embark if we are part of Point View Church, we will make this our great vision to follow Jesus together. To relentlessly pursue following Him and coming alongside another 
in the journey of understanding how much we are loved so that we can share the love of Christ to be ambassadors come reconcile yourself with God that this house will be filled with people of different nations, of different tribes, of different ethnicities, of different um, social, economic, different viewpoints, because we will show the world what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we surrender our lives, our lives are not our own anymore, that we surrender our hearts to King Jesus today. We thank you for this vision in Jesus' name. Amen.